1: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates
2: class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
1: The sexually liberated woman gets her orgasms from Chakrubs, the original crystal sex toy company that makes beautiful handcrafted pleasure tools from pure crystal. Crystals are a natural earth made material that awaken higher levels of consciousness, help you work through emotional imbalances and heal deep core wounding. Take all of that, put it in a sex toy and you've got yourself a mighty orgasmic tool. I recently got an amethyst chakrab as a gift, and I've been loving playing with the intense and incredibly healing vibes that this crystal gives me. Chakrab's not only gets me off, but helps me create an intentional self-pleasure practice that urges me to feel deeply and reconnects me to my inner wisdom. And my orgasms are incredible. So if you want to bring sacredness and new levels of sensuality to your erotic life, head to shockrubs.com and use my code LIBERATION to get 10% off your purchase. That's C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S promo code LIBERATION for 10% off your next purchase. Tell them Evian sent you and may your orgasms be plentiful. Hey everyone, I'm Evian Whitney and this is The Sexually Liberated Woman. Today I'm bringing you an amazing, important, soul-healing conversation about pleasure and black sexual liberation with the babes behind Afrosexology. But before I get into that, I want to give a few shout-outs This is a new tradition I'm making to highlight all of the babes who became new patrons of the Sexually Liberated Woman and are helping this podcast thrive with their cash support. I should probably think of a cute little name to call this segment because it's going to be something I do in each episode. Uh, So if you have any suggestions on what I should call this portion of the show where I shout out my new patrons, send them to me. I would love to hear them. Uh, But for now, we'll just call it shout outs. (laughs) Okay, big love and shout outs to Sarah D., Jasmine E., Samantha J., and Marina M., for becoming patrons of this podcast, and for supporting sexual liberation. Yay, thank you. You babes actually helped this particular episode come into fruition, so thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your support and your love. And if you want to hear your name shouted out in the next episode, go to patreon.com slwpodcast and become a patron. My goal is to get at least 50 of you to pledge $5 a month. And when that happens, because it's a matter of when and not if, <laughs> um, all of the costs of operating the sexually liberated woman will be completely covered the hosting fees, the transcription services, and also compensating my editor for her labor. So if you love the show, I would love to have you as my patron. Or if you'd rather make a one-time donation at an amount you choose, you can go to paypal.me slash sexloveliberation and thank you. Thank you so much. I literally could not do this show without your help and your support and your precious coins. (laughs) Okay, so I had the pleasure of talking to Delisha and Rafaela, who are the empresses behind Afrosexology. They do incredibly important and empowering work around educating, liberating, and healing Black sexuality by centering Black women and femmes' sexual pleasure. I literally say this every episode, but this conversation is so good like you know when you're sitting in church and the pastor starts speaking a particular word that hits right in the innermost part of your soul like just in the right spot and it fills you with the holy spirit this episode is like that minus the patriarchal colonial religion (laughs) Delisha actually said something during our conversation that really, really struck me. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. We as black people are meant to do more than just survive. We are meant for more than just fighting anti-blackness. We deserve to live lives that center our joy and include our pleasure. And we can use the centering of our joy and our pleasure as an act of resistance. And yeah, that has stayed with me ever since we spoke. I think about that, that idea of pleasure as an act of resistance a lot. As a black woman whose very existence is an act of resistance, as a black woman who is constantly underneath the weight of white supremacy and racism and massage noir. As a black woman who struggles to feel like her life matters on a daily basis, this episode was a bomb on my spirit. And if you're someone who identified with anything that I just said, this episode will be medicinal for you as well. And if you don't identify with any of that, i.e. you're not black or a person of color, we got some stuff in here for you too. I also want to give you a heads up about something. We had a few technical difficulties going on that you'll likely hear during our conversation. As I was reviewing the audio, I considered just redoing the interview entirely so that I could get the sound super crisp and clear for you guys, but the conversation was just too good and I opted to keep it as is. So my apologies for the funky noises. The quality of the sound might not be the best, but the quality of the truths that Rafaela and Delisha were speaking is A1. Like, chef's kiss, perfect. Enjoy. Get your life. Black Lives Matter. I am so excited to be chatting with Afro Sexology today, the two babes behind this amazing website with incredible resources that I use constantly with my own clients. Um, And thank you, Delisha and Rafaela, for being here.
0: Thank you for having us. We're so excited. Yes, we are so excited. Thank you.
1: I'm so, so glad that we're finally like connecting voice to voice because we've been chatting for a little bit on the internet, but now it's like finally good to put a voice to some names. Yes, (laughs)
3: yes. Like I watch your stories. That's how I know your voice. But now it's like, we're actually talking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The internet is so amazing and weird at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, So to get started, I'm actually really curious about how Afro sexology came to be like how it is you guys knew other. Other, how it is you guys decided to join forces and start doing this amazing work. And um, Rafaela, if you want, you can tell us a little bit of the story.
0: Yes, yeah, so uh, Delisha and I met in grad school while we were going for our MSW. And, you know, we were both interested in sexual health, sexual health education, sexuality, specifically for um, Black people and people of color. So, really, we just got together. And said that there's something missing and we were looking for it. And we just decided that we should just create it on our own instead of waiting and waiting and waiting. And with that, we just thought about like all the different fun things that were missing. That was really critical to help us like heal in certain ways from our different experiences. And with that, you know, sexology was born. And look at us now doing big things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, with the same passionate drive from you know almost three years ago now so wow
3: that's a little bit of it Mm -hmm. yeah it's amazing to meet someone that shares your vision and um just really affirms the the work that you want to do and it's like down for it so it's been a beautiful partnership i couldn't have asked for a better partner um and someone who trusts (laughs) me better in all of the work that we do and put out together and it's been amazing to just see the community really respond positively. So much affirmation, so much love, so much appreciation for the work that we're putting out there. So, yeah. It has been a really, really beautiful journey. Yeah,
1: it's been incredible to watch you guys like glow up and be in these spaces and these conversations around sex, sexuality. Rafaela, you mentioned that like there was something missing and I'm curious about what that something missing was. I mean, I think I have an idea, <laughs> but I would love to like hear from both of your perspectives, like what you felt was missing to the extent that you had to create it for yourselves.:
0: Yeah, so that's something that was missing is pleasure. Mm. A lot of the conversations um, around sexuality for black people is a, around a lot of fear-based information, a lot of prevention in terms of STIs, STDs, um, unwanted pregnancies, and like you know a very strong history of sexual assault and violence. And so, you know, our whole idea is that if we start inserting pleasure in this conversation, then we can completely take back that um, stigma, all of that shame, and then use that as a force to also prevent those things from happening more and more and more. So if we're talking about let's um, let's have a conversation about what feels good to our body, what type of situations feel good to us, and talk from a pleasure model, then we're going to have more autonomy over our body, right? We're going to say, well, you know what? <clears throat> I don't like to have sex this way. So with that being the case, maybe I will use condoms more. What, maybe I will advocate for my body and make sure that I'm getting tested, that I'm asking my partners to be tested, and make sure that all of our sexual experiences are pleasurable
1: through that mindset. Mm. So basically, you're talking about how like a lot of what's being put out there about Black sexuality has been more prevention, Mm -hmm. like scare tactics kind of based work. And you guys wanted to shift that perspective to pleasure, which is like, I mean, it seems really radical and kind of like, why wouldn't it be that way? But like, I mean, I think that's such a great approach. Thank you.
0: And I think that like, it's not necessarily a new conversation, but It was definitely missing from our communities because like Cosmo, all those articles about how to orgasm, how to please your partner, how to do all these wild, crazy things. Those existed, but those were circulating in white spaces. Right. Right. And so it's like, okay, we need to insert um, ourselves into these conversations, into these spaces to make sure that we are not forgotten. And so to ensure that we're not forgotten, we're just going to demand this space Mm -hmm. and we're going to create our own educational platform to make sure that it's not going anywhere for us. I can add that what we've seen
3: is that there is so much, like she said, fear and then shame and silence when it comes to the conversation or the lack of conversation around sexuality Mm -hmm. for many people of color, specifically Black people who are growing up. And so it was really, really important for us and the work that we do to create spaces for conversation. And so we're really intentional in our workshops and our social media to just, pose questions because we just want people to talk about the things that we've been told that we can't talk about, it's like felt forbidden for so long. And just from all of that, um, all of the conversations that we've seen spark out of the work that we've done, it's been really affirming to see that people want to talk about this. People want to be affirmed. People want to say something and have other people affirm that like they're not the only ones thinking this or going through this. People want to sit and be in community with people who look like them and have, and share their experiences and to just really feel connected. And so it was so often that when I was in spaces with a Black people, that it was always around trauma, that it was like us coming together to, to get a plan to protest, us coming together to grieve, us coming together to like bet about microaggressions and all the stuff we're dealing with. And so to create spaces that intentionally center our joy and our pleasure has been really, really powerful um, and important in our work and it's something that we try to center in all of our work.
1: Mm. I don't even know if you guys have the answer to this question, but I'm, I'm wondering like why or where it came from that. Pleasure wasn't at the center of black sexuality because you guys are so right. Like I had a Cosmo magazine um, myself, and like I was constantly clued into like the best ways to give blowjobs and all of these other things. But I never really had those kinds of conversations with like within that black lens. And so I don't know. Do you guys have the answer to why it was it's like
3: that? Uh, yeah. So when we go back to intergenerational trauma and just like the history of black people specifically in America in slavery, there was a lot, we lost control of what happened to our bodies. We were overworked. We were used for, for labor, for, to, for goods. We were used for sex a lot of times. And so when it came to a lot of the violence that was happening to us and um, the violence that we couldn't prevent from happening to our bodies, whether that was being raped or being castrated or all the things that was happening, there became like a a move towards like if you can't, con- if I can't control what happens to my body, I can't control, you know, my, my, my mind. And so there was a, a silence and like silence is a sign of strength and that we're not going to talk about the stuff that's happening to us because we're not going to give it power in that way. Mm-hmm. Which and, and that led to when we did start talking about it, it was rooted in protection because we were so used to our bodies not being protected. We were so used to our bodies being violated. And so from the, the Black lens, like the silence and the the fear has come from the, the, the reality that our bodies are oftentimes abused by other people. And I think like from a white supremacist lens, there's a lot of different reasons why they want us to feel like we're hypersexual because it justifies the violence that they do to our bodies yeah and so there's all those things that are happening and so when it comes to Cosmo I'm like well who is Cosmo written by and who's written for (laughs) right (laughs) you know but I will say that there have always been black people who have held on to our sexual liberation so right after black people were were essentially freed from slavery you kind of saw like a split in the community where there was When it came to like music, there was a split and you saw like music where people became, went into the church and it became gospel music. And then you saw jazz, um, and blues come up. And so in the blues music, like the women were talking about being sexually free. They were talking about drinking. They were talking about having husbands and boyfriends and girlfriends. And they were really holding on to this narrative that we don't have to feel like we need to fit into this white norm of like purity and. Um, just really trying to be virginal and trying to reject a lot of the stereotypes that they've given us. We can redefine sexuality for ourselves, mm-hmm. and so there. And I kind of see a similar thing with black musicians today and black artists, yeah. Um, black writers who have just really been like upfront about their sexual desires and their sexual needs. And I, I just remember like growing up and hearing my neck, my back for the first time, and that was like, <laughs> you know, like affirmation that like, yeah, I can get my pussy licked, and no one was talking.
0: Yeah. About
3: that. And so there's always. Been people who have been trying to celebrate black sexuality, specifically black women, but it hasn't been put on the forefront. It hasn't been mainstream. It's kind of been like, oh, you artists, you, you people over there, like that's your thing. You're you're out of the lines already. You're already living off the box. Mm-hmm. And so we're just trying to make it a more mainstream conversation.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the music piece because. I know that like one of the reasons I wasn't allowed to listen to rap, R and B, hip hop was because of how sexual it was. And I mean, like, I get it from my parents' standpoint. Like, you know, I was 13, 14, 15, probably shouldn't have been listening to My Neck, My Back by Kia. But at the same time, I do wonder like what it would have been like for me to see that kind of music and those lyrics as a way of I guess embracing black sexuality rather than it having, like having it be this like dirty, explicit, like some somewhat pornographic type of way. Like it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I mean, I was completely immersed into that culture as well. And, um, but it, I, I didn't see it from that place. I didn't see it from like, this is, these are black people using their sexual agency and being proud about that. I think that's really interesting.
3: Yeah, I think we're I don't want to say we're just coming to this era because I don't I don't I mean history tends to repeat itself. But I, it feels very new to me that we're in this like anti-respectability politics space. And so what happened when you are when you're giving when the black community is giving all these messages about like, oh, you're hypersexual and you're sexual deviance and you're unlovable and you're angry and you're all this stuff that like there was. Um, an attempt to kind of respond to that, those messages by saying like we're going to be the exact opposite, and we're gonna, you know, we're going to be like those good, <laughs> respectable black people, and you know, hiding our sexuality was a part of that because the narrative was that we were hypersexual, sexual deviants, and so for me, like I don't, I don't even know if I saw it in that lens growing up, like the, the music and how sexually freeing it was, but looking back now, and especially being in a space where I'm actively rejecting respectability politics. I am really seeing these things as like no, like we're these people are defining sexuality on their own terms. We don't have to keep responding and reacting to the views that other people have about our sexuality, whether that's reacting to views from that we've gotten from like white culture or that like black people who have given us that is really shame based and fear based. That we can define that for ourselves, and if that looks like you being celibate your whole life, that's fine. If it looks like you having sex with on stage in front of 500 people with 10 different people that's fine but you get the space to define that we don't have to keep um reacting to what we've been told that we are because at this point we realize that like no matter what we do they're gonna treat us how they want to treat us so you might as well just like really feel it for ourselves and do what we want to do
0: I think it's also important to remember that there is space to challenge those um, ideas, especially when it comes to our parents or our parents' parents. They were making like jazz music and how a lot of the artists were talking about their lovers and all this other stuff. Well, you think back to it and everyone's talking about, oh, this is baby making music. But it was like <laughs> it was like slow R&B music. It was also music from the seventh from the 60s, the 70s. But most of the time when you have like that negative connotation of sex and music, it's about rap music. Right. So it's just like, let's talk about it, because the same music that you were jamming to talked about sex. And sometimes sex outside of marriage or like someone cheating on a spouse or whatever the case is. So just because it sounds a little different doesn't mean that the message is still not there.
1: I totally resonate with that because I remember my parents being very adamantly against me listening to rap and hip hop and stuff. But they were okay with me listening to, you know... Stevie Wonder, which I mean, it's not that his music was like, you know, purely sexual. But I do remember some songs that he sang about making love and things like that. And so like, I and I think the way that my parents excused it was like, well, he's talking about love between a man and a woman who are married. Um, but it's interesting how like they were able to put that like impression on it when I mean, maybe he wasn't even singing about two married people, man and a woman, you know, like maybe he was talking about, kind of the same ways that um, rap artists are accessing their, their sexuality. I mean, we will never know, right? But like, it's a really interesting thing to put into perspective.
3: Yeah. yeah. I definitely remember when I, growing up and like my aunts and my uncles and my parents, like dancing to next too close. And as I got older, oh my god, I, that song! And I just loved the song as a kid. And as I got older, and I heard like understood the lyrics, I was like, oh my, you people! Can we like talk <laughs>
1: about that for a second? Because I remember dancing to that song in middle school and high school. Maybe not middle school. It might have been like early high school. So maybe like when I was a freshman or so. And I remember that was the jam. Like anytime that song came on, people were on the dance floor, and I and i was i was kind of raised under a rock because i was uh homeschooled for a time so i didn't really understand boys and penises and all that kind of stuff because my parents didn't really teach me about that stuff <laughs> and i remember like dancing with boys on the dance floor and i noticed that when this song came on that's when they started like humping me more like <laughs> fiercely and i was like what is going on here like the song i mean it's a good song but it doesn't like slap you know what i mean <laughs> and so then like i would say like maybe Gosh, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. I'd say maybe about four years ago, I really listened to the lyrics. It came on like a playlist that I was listening to. And I was like, holy shit, they played this in high school, (laughs) like amongst 14, 15 year olds. Like this
0: was okay. Like, because I remember like singing the words, like knowing all of the words, singing it. You're making it hard for me. And I'm thinking, like, oh, she's making it hard for him to like resist her oh my because God. she's so gorgeous. That's then, what I thought. Exactly. That's
1: exactly what I thought. And then I'm like, wait a minute, wait. Oh, oh, oh yes. my God. That's what he's talking about. Yes. And the part where he's talking or she says like, I feel a little bump coming through or a poke yep. coming through. Yep. So I yeah. didn't know that's what she was saying until like four years ago. I don't know what I thought she was saying. I thought maybe like, I don't know. I, I don't even know what I thought. But then like when I really started to listen, I'm like, oh shit, she's talking about a boner. Like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to, go deeper into like the difference between black sexuality white sexuality and particularly like the sexual the the differences between the kind of sexual trauma black women face versus white women and i'm wondering like why you feel it's important for your perspective or for afrosexology to exist because i i know that there are some people out there that are like well we're all you know having sex and it's all the same experience like why is it important for there to be a site dedicated to black sexuality and black pleasure
3: yeah so the the response that i, I usually give is that we understand that black people have a different relationship than white people when it comes to the police we understand that black people have a different relationship than white people when it comes to education, in our school systems, when it comes to our neighborhoods, when it comes to money, economics, all of these different things, because there have been institutional, um, systems of oppression that have controlled or limited access to certain things. And so if we understand that we have different relationships to all of these things, then usually people can follow, especially with the police, but you know, some people can't. Why is it so hard to think that that Black people would have a different relationship when it comes to sex. And I think that for us, we know that the conversation about like sexual pleasure is relevant to everyone, but we're, we're rarely centered. And we have in America, we have this idea that like white equals universal. And so all these things will have white people and we're like, Oh, but it's for everyone. So And I don't think that is true. And so for us, I think it's really important because we have experienced the trauma specifically in a racial lens for our healing to occur in a racial lens. And that's okay for us to be centered, for us to say like, in this space, we get to do work. In this space, we get to like talk about ourselves. In this space, we get to vent. In this space, we get to be joyous. And that should, and that's okay to me. And often because, and we've had um, non-Black people in some of our workshops who get the rundown on like the rules that like they're not here to take up space and that if we're talking about colonization or microaggressions or something and they don't understand that this is not the space to ask questions or to like stop other people's learning if if the community is already on the same page but i will say i mean it's the same thing if you have a space of of women or people who identify as women because we've been socialized in all these different ways putting one or two people identify as male in this space changes the dynamics, And so it's the same thing when we're creating these spaces, um, putting a couple of white people in that space changes. It, mm-hmm. it changes the conversations. It changes the way that people are going to carry their bodies, let themselves be free because we have to be on the fence so many times and so many spaces in our lives when it comes to white people that this is not a space where we're talking about our bites, or we're talking about our sexuality or we're talking about pleasure that I don't want people to feel like they have to be defensive here. I want people to feel like they can let go and just be vulnerable and be open and to be honest. And so I think, I think it's really important for us to have specific conversations about the messages that we've received around black sexuality, that black men have these big dicks, that black women are known for these big asses, that we're hypersexual, that we're unlovable, that we're not beautiful, that we're like all of this stuff is unique to like, we're the ones who are getting these messages mm-hmm. everywhere. And so for us to create a space to say like, we want to talk about this, we want to unpack this. And then we also want to redefine, reimagine, talk about sexual fantasies. For me, I don't, I think it is a really, powerful um space to be able to create and i think it's really important that we we hold on to that and not feel like we have to apologize for wanting to center ourselves.
1: Yes. Oh, thank you for saying all of that. Um i so appreciate that. I so appreciate that you guys are making the space for black women to center themselves when it comes to pleasure and sexuality because i mean when have we ever been able to do that on like a on a big scale, or like when do we even make that kind of time to do that for ourselves? Because everything about our lives is telling us, or the people around us are telling us that we don't matter, or that like our bodies are don't belong to us in some capacity. And so the work that you guys are doing is. Incredibly radical. And I'm also thinking about like the intergenerational trauma that you guys are helping to heal because you're giving black women um, and femmes the ability to finally tap into and hold space for their sexual identities.
0: Yeah. And one thing I do want to mention because I I was thinking about a couple months ago, a couple years ago, I don't know. But there was this video of someone who watched something we did or read an article. And it was a white woman on YouTube, basically saying, you know, well, everybody has sexuality. We all have the same type of experiences. So I don't know why this is so, (laughs) I don't basically say, she doesn't know why this was so special. But in that same segment, she literally said that and anyway you know black women can't be raped anyway because they're so sexual oh my god exactly and this is this is a real thing this is a real thing that people believe and because they believe it is why the message has to be different because it's not the same yes we may have very similar experiences because sexual assault does occur we know that to be true but when you're sitting here saying that Well, you can't be raped anyway because you're a hypersexual person. So maybe you wanted it um, or maybe maybe the message is like your body's just not important enough to say that rape meant anything to you that is damaging to you. It's like just another indication of where we are in society and why this message is so important, because it's just it's just really sad how, you know, people want to say that. Everyone is like on the equal playing field. Everyone matters. Um, but then in the same token, you do things consistently. You put things into action. You have policies. You have laws. You have all these things that contradict that every single day. Mm. So, yeah, I just had to add that in because I was just thinking of that woman like, girl, bye. This that is, is crazy.
1: crazy. Oh, my God. How did you guys not like go off? Because <laughs> I would have been like, where does this bitch live? <laughs> What flight do I need to, to go <laughs> over there? Like, who says something like that? Like, it's one yeah. thing to be like, oh, you know, why do you, everyone's sexual? Why do you need to send yourself in this way? It's another thing to completely say that, like, essentially, at least what I heard you say is that she was saying that you deserve to be raped because we're over-sexualized. Like, what the fuck? How do, how do you guys... um. I'm I'm curious about cuz I mean obviously you're speaking to and centering black folks, black women in particular. I'm curious about like what happens when you have people who speak up, white people in particular, who try to discredit the fact that you're centering yourself or or centering black sexuality in this way. Like how do you take care of yourselves?
3: Um, So I I am here, like, I didn't even watch the YouTube video I found. it. I think I shared it with Raphael and I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this because I made a, a commitment to myself maybe two years ago that I was actively divesting from putting my energy into whiteness. And so I really do, like, I was like, I'm, there's certain conversations that I'm not even entertaining and having anymore because this is, this is about you and you have to go do the work and I need to conserve my energy for my people because we also need to do the work. And so for me, um, you know, like I I have like all these like inner dialogues of like things I want to say. And so I'm just like, but this will require a lot of energy to do this. So I usually will write things out and just try to really not spend my time working on helping white people to understand why we need to do this. I've done that. I mean, I grew up in a predominantly white schooling education system i've been the one black person in class when someone's defending slavery like i've had like so much of my life was on this basis of like oh they just don't understand and if we have these conversations then they're going to think differently and i've come to understand that like that's just not my calling you know for some people like that's where their energy can go but i've had too many conversations throughout my life with white people about racism and to not see them change to where i'm like why would i keep doing this this is this is actually harming me and I'm the one who's losing sleep and I'm the one who's stressed and I'm the one who's being anxious and having these like intrusive thoughts go through my mind that I can't let the situation go and they're fine and they're fine. And so I have really like stopped putting my energy into people who aren't like, if you're not talking about liberation, then like, I don't really feel like wasting my energy going back and forth unless you're black. <laughs> that's, that's the conversation I'm willing to have. And if you're a person of color, like I'm willing to have yeah. it for like, Latinx people, indigenous people, like, let's have this conversation, like, because Southeast Asian, like, so many of us have been through or dealing or surviving with the, the impact of colonization. So like, let's have the conversation. But no, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm divesting.
1: Mm. Yes, I love that. What about you, Rafaela?
0: For your first part, no one has been bold enough to say anything like that yes. Um, yes. in a workshop or to us. <laughs> Good. I'm and so I'm gonna wood because I'm, you know, I'm not trying to lose this license that I have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely don't want that to happen. Um, so, yeah, we haven't had that concern. And we have been very very good at letting people know like if someone books us for a workshop or they ask if someone they can bring someone to the workshop who doesn't identify as a person of color or black and we've been able to have conversations fine to say like listen this is who this space is for and if it is a all um black or all person of color space then we've had no issues with someone respecting that and not showing up and then if it has been a space where everyone's welcome we do say like listen this is for us you can definitely attend but you cannot take up space it's not for you to do anything of that matter. And we haven't had issues like that. So it's been, it's been very good, very good response on all ends. Most of the time when it comes to like taking care of myself, it really hasn't been that big of a problem because I'm, I have done a lot of work in terms of boundary setting and what that looks like and feels like for me. So it's it's not a problem for me to just tell people they need to go <laughs> or I remove myself from the situation. Or I just call them out and just say like, this is not going to be tolerated. I can't deal with this. So yeah, I mean, I've been through a lot in my life and I've definitely come a long way from where I am now. So because of those things, I, I am able to just make sure that I'm putting myself first in a lot of situations. And when it comes to people who um, I can tell I'm not interested in my experience, it's not trying to make anything um, less traumatic for me, then like hands down, next step is, I'm leaving or you're leaving, and that's gonna be the end of that.
1: The Sexually Liberated Woman celebrates sexual liberation. And since you're listening to this podcast, I think it's pretty safe for me to assume that you're already about that life. Maybe you're already on your sexual liberation journey and you're in this process of fully exploring your erotic self. Or maybe you're one of the many, many people out there who isn't at all comfortable with their sexuality. If so, I have some things that might help. When I'm not doing this podcast, I teach classes and facilitate healing that helps women and femmes liberate and connect to their sexuality. And I've created some awesome resources to help them on their journey. There's a sensuality course that guides you into reconnecting with your sensual body one day at a time. There's a digital workshop I lead that teaches you how to use sensual selfies as a way to heal and celebrate your sexuality. There's also my sexual liberation and healing practice where I help you step out of shame and into erotic empowerment via one-on-one mentoring, counseling, space holding, and fierce accountability. So if you want to be sexually free, go to sexloveliberation.com shop and start your sexual liberation journey. That's sexloveliberation.com shop to awaken your sexuality. I absolutely cannot wait to witness your blossoming, and I'll see you there. I'm curious about like what other folks, non-Black folks, can do to help liberate Black sexuality. Um, yeah, what what comes to mind when when I ask that question and Delisha, you can start if you want.
3: Non-black but people of color
2: or
1: I'm I'm thinking about like anyone who doesn't identify as black and but but I suppose I'm I mean I guess supposed to, just to be, you know, specific. Sure. Let's let's talk to white people for a second. Like what can white people do to help liberate black sexuality?
3: I think my my answer to white people when it comes to, like, liberating anyone is to really do your own inner work. So I find that people of color are actively creating spaces to heal, to, like, unpack capitalism, patriarchy, like, all of these things that are, have affected us, that have made us feel like we're less than, that have made us feel insecure, that have told us that we have to lift ourselves up by downplaying or oppressing other people. And I think that, like, white people are also not doing that self reflection and that work. Mm. So like as I'm hearing all these stories about like white people who are calling the cops because they saw someone sleeping on campus or they saw someone leave. I'm like, why like mind your business one, but two like what is it? Like you need to figure out like what is it within you that feels so afraid. It feels so threatened. It feels the need to like to react in this way. Like that is not a natural reaction to seeing someone else in a space. And I think those self reflective questions, is often not asked. Like I tell people, I'm just saying like, you're like, how can I say this? Just say it, girl. You you don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't dehumanize people without losing a part of your humanity. So a lot of this work is just you getting back in touch with your humanity to where you don't feel the need to constantly dehumanize other people, mm. and so as much work as we're doing the same thing with women, as much work as women are doing, like we need men to to unpack their own stuff, to unpack their toxic masculinity, to really figure out why they have to like treat women in this way. Like what is it within them? And I say the same thing to white people, like we need y'all to do y- your work, your inner work, get your community, check each other. Like, and that is going to be enough because so many times we're reacting, we're having to deal with, respond to, survive through your shit. like mm-hmm. your stuff. And so if you can work through your stuff, we won't have to keep doing this.
1: Right.
3: We don't, like, this isn't, this work isn't, I mean, this work is fun for us because we're centering pleasure. But, like, it's not fun surviving and living through all of this stuff. And so the biggest thing you can do is really just, like, get your community and, <laughs> like, heal your people.
1: Mm. Get your shit together, white people.
0: Yeah. Um. Thank you so much, Delisha, for saying that because my response was not, it's not my <laughs> work to do for them. And they need to figure it out. So, you know, there's a lot of information out there. That's real.
2: That's <laughs> um, real. So
0: do that. Take care of yourself and <laughs> leave me out of it because when y'all take care of yourself, y'all end up plummeting on other people. So,
1: what was it? Three times in one day we had like news headlines talking about white people calling the cops on black people just. Living, just living their lives.
0: And I was having that conversation with Delisha, like with this situation specifically um, on campus, like how do you instantly just go to the police? Like you don't have like a security officer. You don't have like an RA. You don't have someone who manages the building that you say, like, first of all, I don't even know why it bothers you. I would just walk to my dorm room minding my business. Wouldn't even, right? I wouldn't even pay attention to that. But if you are like, boom, 911, I just don't understand that. It just baffles my mind.
1: Or like, like, how about like, if you're that concerned, like, ask the person who is sleeping, be like, hey, uh, are you lost? Like, why do we have to why? Why are we having our responses be and I say we as though I'm doing this shit. I'm not doing it. Why do white people have these responses to call the cops on someone who was just living their life? power and knowing that they can and that the
0: police will show up because my other question is after you hear what the complaint is how
1: do you still show up that's what i'm saying i was thinking about that today like how many times i've called the cops on some drunk asshole outside of my street and they don't show up but like for some reason the cops pull up when some white woman is reporting a black woman sleeping in a dorm like what? right because she couldn't possibly be there and that's exactly what i was going to say how many times in
0: really poor black communities they know if you call the police, they're never going to come. But you call about someone grilling in a park, sleeping on a bench, making noise, listening to the radio, and sirens. I just—it just baffles me. But it does come down to power, so I guess it's really not that. Because we know it's a tactic, right? Yeah, and it
3: is—it is connected to our our bodies and our sexuality, right? Because if we're so we're having to navigate and survive and and deal with our bodies being policed all the time. Like I can't sleep here. I can't sit here. I can't walk here. I can't breathe here. And so we can't, we're constantly trying to like figure all of that out. Like how am I supposed to stay here and talk about my sex life? How am I supposed to stay here and like talk about pleasure and my body and the things that I want if I'm so, afraid to even do the things that seem harmless it seems harmless to say like i'm taking a nap on finals week like this is the end of the semester finals week who knows when that person like is up on night pulling on night like i have 20 minutes i'm gonna take a nap right here and then the police is called on you so like when there's so much fear just around moving and just being and just doing like everyday things it can feel really scary as a community to say like now you want me to sit up here and publicly talk about like my sex life to other people or like i don't even have the time to think about my sex life because i have to deal with all this other shit every day on a daily basis coming at us. So yeah, it's a lot and it's it's connected and it's connected to us not feeling like we have agency and power over our body and over our lives.
1: I that's actually a really Great place to segue because I wanted you both to, I guess, talk to the Black people and, and I guess, you know, the people of color, the women of color who are like, yo, I'm tired. Like, I am doing so much emotional labor. I am dealing with microaggressions, racism on a daily basis. How in the world am I supposed to prioritize my pleasure? How in the world am I supposed to access sexual expression when it doesn't even feel safe for me to leave my house? Like I don't feel safe to be in my body. Like what sort of, I don't know, words of wisdom or words of encouragement or just, I don't know, just like give us a sermon (laughs) because we need it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that it is a very, very real conversation and realization to have because we are out here doing a lot of things dealing with mental illness, health issues, uh, family issues, community violence, all of this stuff. But for me, you know, you just have to find a way. There are so many other things that distract us or that we use to fill our time. And that is supposed to be like how we relax, right? Um, sometimes we may just be just killing idle time or doing something really numbing or something we're not really invested in. So how can we pay more attention and be intentional about those times that we can just pull maybe just even a little bit. It's like, okay, instead of binge watching three hours of, you know, Netflix, maybe 30 minutes or one hour of that time, we can do something that's really pleasurable to our bodies. That feels really good. Like we're taking care of ourselves because it's not always about, um, You know, we got to go to a fancy spa and spend fifty hundred dollars on all of this stuff. But what really makes you feel good and take care of yourself? Because that's important, too. We want to be here. We're going to be here. So how can we make sure that we're in the best condition as possible? So if that means like actually making that doctor's appointment. Yeah, let's do that. If it means like, okay, I'm just going to start off by trying to drink eight glasses of water a day when I usually drink sodas. Okay, let's give that a shot. So. And just really taking the time to insert those little things and if you can throw in masturbation yes as one of those things yes. <laughs> then definitely recommend that because you know as we know there are so many health benefits so many um mental health physical health benefits that comes along with it then that's something that you can really have fun with and explore your body with that doesn't take you outside of your house now you can if you want to you know you can <laughs> But if you are really, you know, dealing with a lot of responsibilities, you can do it in the shower, you can do it in your bedroom, you can find some private time, and really explore your body in that way and release a lot of tension, a lot of stress. So I think that's it. We just have to make sure we're being more intentional with our time, because there are some gaps, right? We make it seem like we're busy, busy, busy all the time. But there are some gaps, recognize that and realize how can we replace some of those things
1: with more healthy behaviors. I love that. What about you, Delisha? Yeah,
3: um, to all of my Black people, I just want to say that we are meant to do more than to just survive. And so much of what's been given to us are just like survival tactics. And so much that we're, we're doing is just trying to survive day to day. But I want us to, or we want us to like to thrive. We want us to, to live a, a beautiful and healthy and pleasurable life and so you know we were based in St. Louis and when Ferguson protests were happening and I was involved I like saw like a, a different like a change in me like it was you're going out every night you're protesting in front of cops like in the day you're in these meetings strategizing you're training learning all these different tactics and it just felt like you're like my body was just so on guard like I was just so tense and I felt this uncontrollable anger all the time and it just became so hard to say like i'm directing this anger towards white people only i mean it just it infused into all parts of my life and i was like yelling at friends and i was yelling at my lover and i was just like it is very very like, angry person and i was like this is not sustainable and that anger is justified but it will it's not sustainable it just isn't sustainable and so for me masturbating every day when I would come home from like whatever we were doing whatever tactic or come home and masturbate to affirm to my body that like I deserve to feel more than just like fighting and to feel like on the defense that I deserve to feel pleasure and love and these really positive feelings that I am love that I am in community that I'm doing this because of my community and it was just all of these like very very like for my my body that like the way that my body was react- reacting to give it this orgasm on a daily basis to to love on it to affirm it to just say like you're beautiful you're worthy you're worth all this it, it was really healing for me and so i think because we're in a system that isn't built for us to survive because we're in a system that gives us anti-black messages on a daily basis it is even more important for us to resist by centering our pleasure. It's really, it's like even more important for us to say that like, I'm going to like, no matter, despite all of the bullshit you're throwing me every day, I'm going to choose to live a life that is inclusive of pleasure, that I deserve more than just the shit that you're giving us. And so something that we tell people is, um, is to really like tune in to your senses, just to start off and to think about what are the the things that bring your pleasure the smells, the sounds, the taste. And how can you bring more of that into your life all throughout your life? So can you make a playlist that you can play on the way to that job that you hate that makes you feel good? Are there certain, um, I'm really into smells. And so I am into Jasmine right now. And so like, I put Jasmine sometimes like on my, my hands. So I can just like smell it throughout the day because it's a really affirming and pleasurable smell for me. What are the different foods that you can keep around like in your bag or take with you to work or take throughout your day to just affirm that you deserve good things. You deserve to feel pleasure and to do that little by little, um, throughout all of all aspects of your life. And then to really sit down and think about like what do you want for your body? Like what, like more than just surviving and avoiding pain and trauma, which let's, uh, yes, let's work towards avoiding that. But like, what are the things that you can do for your body that affirms your body and makes you feel good? Because there's just so many things that we have to navigate and deal with on the day-to-day basis. And it's really, really important for you to just make sure that you feel some sense of joy and pleasure throughout your day, because yeah, this situation that we're in is it's very hard to I tell people, I'm like, just the fact that black people wake up and get out of bed every day is like I don't even know how. I gotta It's a radical act. Yeah, it is.
1: Oh, that was a message. I, I think that I'm going to replay both of your answers like every day for the rest of the year <laughs> as a way <laughs> to like inspire me and motivate me because everything you said was just like Oh, it was so good. So good. Thank you for saying all of that. Like I needed to hear it. And I know that um, a lot of people listening probably needed to hear it too. So before I let you go and to uh, like really get into pleasure, since I know that that's what you guys are all about, I'm curious about the things that are giving you erotic joy these days.
3: So, okay. So this my my first answer is not as erotic, but this is something that I've been, I'm really into right now is communication.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I've been really researching and learning a lot about different communication styles. I am, I'm not, a, I'm not a fighter. Like I'm not a physical fighter, but I definitely can have, have had in the past a very sharp time. So working on just like using more loving language has been really important to me, but also my internal dialogue. My internal dialogue is the voice of white supremacy. Mm. So I've just been really working on like journaling a lot more and like affirmations and just really trying to like counter that internal dialogue that I have that keeps me rooted in fear sometimes, um, that keeps me from doing things that I want to do. Yeah, and then working on like externally trying to give more compliments and affirmations to people in my life, um, speaking in a more loving way. My partner and I both were like really sarcastic when we joke. And I'm just like, are we being mean? Do we need to like, after we do this, like can we sit down and like give each other affirmations? So I'm just like, trying to be more in tune with my my tongue because I, um, I'm, you know, going back to intergenerational trauma, I think like, As like one thing that was taken away from us was our bodies. Another thing was like our, our right to communicate in in the way that we did before and just that we've learned a lot of communication styles that are replicating oppressive ways that people have like talked or taught us to talk. And so just like trying to remove shame and fear from my, my language has been something that's been really interesting to me is taking me down a, a beautiful rabbit hole. Um, and I feel it makes me feel more positive. I feel more erotic and joyous throughout my day when I'm catching myself and countering those messages and just working on being more intentional with my tongue.
1: Oh, I like that. And it also, it's a little double entendre. (laughs) That's how you say it. I try to to roll my my R like a French person. Oh my God, that's embarrassing. But I love that. I love that. What about you, Rafaela?
0: So something that I have been working on is my breathing that I realized sometimes I'm holding my breath mm. and I'm pretty sure that I know it comes from just like trauma and like not really being sure about my spaces or wanting to be quiet or seem smaller. So I would like hold my breath and I realized I still do that. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm like, dang, I wasn't breathing. Like I need to get it together. So now I've been more intentional with that, but I'm also noticing um, my breathing patterns when I'm having sex or doing masturbation. And listen, I don't know if you all have been doing this, but <laughs> <laughs> I find I have very specific ways that I breathe. And it's like if I breathe like in my nose, on my mouth and like make it a really deep breath and I take it all the way down to my belly, it's like instantly I'm getting ready to orgasm. And so I've been playing with that and just like doing shallow breathing, deep breathing, fast pace, um, speeding it up, slowing it down and just seeing all the different things. Um, that happens in my body and how my body responds. So that's one thing that I would say has been has gone from recognizing it as something I did as a response to trauma and how that had transferred into sex play with myself or with partners and really just playing with that a little bit more and, and really noticing that it was something impacting me that I had no idea about. So it's been really fun to say the least.
1: I love that. Thank you both for, for sharing what's giving you erotic joy because like as important as it is for us to have conversations about dismantling sex negativity, particularly in Black sexuality, um, it's just as important for us to talk about what's giving us joy, what's giving us erotic pleasure and um, the things that are helping us to find that kind of erotic pleasure. So I really appreciate you you guys uh sharing those things with us
0: thank you for space to allow us to share
1: thank you for that beautiful question so i'm so excited that you guys are on today tell people where they can uh, find you and your work and maybe even go to a workshop tell us everything
0: so hey everyone we're Sexology. you can find us everywhere under Sexology. we are on facebook instagram twitter so if you just type in Afro sexology, we will instantly pop up. So go ahead and hit that follow button. We also do um, a lot of collaborative work with old school. So that's the letter O dot school. You can check us out there and yeah, just keep up with our social media to find out what's coming up.
1: Fantastic. One thing that I want to say about your website that I love is that you guys have some amazing resources like on your website. So if there's anyone who was listening to this conversation and you're wanting to learn about ways to dismantle black sex negativity or just, you know, if you're a white person and you want to be more informed, definitely check out their resources page. They have so many amazing books, many of which I've read and some of them like actually I use your resources page. Um, I bookmark it. So. can look for new books on on my library. So I, I just wanted to highlight that because I think you guys have some amazing resources for people and also like some really cool like worksheets and stuff for people to work on. So yeah, definitely check that out too.
3: Oh, thank you for that.
1: Thank you so much, you guys. It was so um, wonderful chatting with you. And please come back on again. Let's talk about some, I don't know, maybe some more like dirty rap R&B songs <laughs> we inappropriately danced to without knowing exactly where those songs uh, were coming from or what they were talking about.
3: Yes. Anytime. <laughs> yes. I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The Sexually Liberated Woman is produced, edited, and designed by me, Evian Whitney, with editing help by Justine McClellan. If you love this podcast, I'd love it if you left me a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to support this podcast, The Sexually Liberated Woman finally has a Patreon. With just $5 a month, you can help The Sexually Liberated Woman thrive and continue instigating sexual empowerment just go to patreon.com slash SLW podcast to donate and become a patron. As for me, you can find me on my blog, sexloveliberation.com and on Instagram at Evian.Whitney. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you in the next episode.